0: Welcome to the New Books and Political Science podcast, a special APSA podcast uh, for the end of August, uh, the American Political Science Association time of the year to meet. And in honor of that, uh, we have the real uh, exciting chance to talk to a great new uh, book author, Michelle uh, Margulis, who has authored Uh, From Politics to the Pews, How Partisanship and the Political Environment Shape Religious Identity. Michelle's book is published by the University of Chicago Press. I also have uh, today to talk to Michelle about the book, a former guest uh, on the podcast, Andy Lewis, who's going to be joining the conversation. Michelle and Andy, how are you both doing today?
1: I'm great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, same here. Thanks for having us. Hey, Heath.
0: Absolutely. Uh, Michelle, maybe you can um, very briefly just tell us a little bit about yourself. And and then Andy, we can uh, uh, hear a little bit about you as well, though you've been on before. So people know you. So Michelle, just tell us just a little bit about yourself.
2: Yeah, I'm a California native uh, who's been now at the University of Pennsylvania for four years, uh, studying American politics and political behavior. Uh, And then within that, I'm really interested in religion and politics. And I actually just got back just yesterday from five weeks of doing field work in Alabama, doing interviews with pastors, um, everyday folks, uh, political leaders, journalists, all that jazz.
1: And Andy, how about yourself? Would you introduce yourself? Sure. I'm uh, an Illinois native, and I've been at the University of Cincinnati now, I guess, for six years, a newly tenured associate professor. And most of my work is at the intersection of religion and law and politics. And I had a book that came out sort of on that subject last year. Uh, But I'm really excited about this uh, podcast. I think Michelle's book is outstanding.
0: Yeah, and and let's get to it. Let's let's get to this book, um, Michelle. I, I think as I as I read academic books, they they seem to fall into two different categories. The, the first type is the type of book that builds just a much deeper case of something we already understand, and and the second type of book is the book that really turns on its head something we thought we understood. It seems like your book falls into this second category, and in, in the way it is just eye opening. Um, and I think um, many of the findings would come as a real surprise to those maybe who don't closely follow the study of religion and politics. And so w- with that in mind, um, before we get to what what is new, I wonder if you'd explain a bit about the the conventional understanding of religion and politics and what direction the the causal arrow typically flows. Uh, in political science research, between religion and politics.
2: Yeah, so the conventional wisdom is what we, what you know, what we read in the newspaper, which is that religion shapes your politics. How often you go to church, what your religious beliefs are, um, maybe who you identify with and as as a group. These things have really important implications for politics. And I think I should start at the very top of this podcast by saying, uh, I don't think that religion doesn't have an effect. That's, that's a lot of negatives there. But religion definitely affects politics. But that's only part of the story. So yeah, this conventional wisdom is that by virtue of going to church a lot, that's going to lead you to become a Republican. And if you're a non-religious person, that's going to lead you to become a Democrat, um, or that if you belong to a certain religious denomination, you're more likely to be a Democrat or a Republican. Um, or if you're ho- likely to hold certain beliefs about the Bible, you're more likely to be a Republican or a Democrat. Um, and so that's that's the conventional wisdom, and that's that's what we see um, implied every time we read exit polling data that says, you know, Donald Trump got X percent of the evangelical vote, and X percent of the people who attend church weekly. The assumption is there's something about going to church that's causing you to vote Republican, or that's that's the implication um, of these kind of correlational
1: findings.
0: Yeah. Andy, um, you're deeply embedded in this literature. Uh, the, the floor is yours.
1: Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I think it's one of these books where once you read Michelle's book, you're going to start thinking about politics and religion quite differently. And, and that makes it exciting. you sort of teased us where we're going that sort of not only does religion perhaps affect politics, but politics would affect Religion and what I I think um, what's going on here. Some people have, have been moving in that direction, but what you really add here is this idea of thinking about life stages and life courses and how that plays into this perhaps different causal directions. Can you talk to us about what you're what you're um, arguing, what you're showing, but also particularly about the different sort of way that life course uh, plays into it?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's a really important. Part of the book, uh, in part because, yeah, there has been some research that shows or thinks about politics affecting religion. But at its face, that just seems so difficult to um, accept, right, that this idea that your eternal soul and, and issues associated with your religious beliefs could be influenced by something as dirty and, and secular as, as politics. Um, and, and so – the theory of my book focuses on the life cycle, which looks at two strands of literature. Some of, one of The first of which is the religious life cycle literature, which is from sociology of religion, which notes that um, people are raised with religion. We don't have much agency uh, when deciding whether we're going to church or not as a child or going to Sunday school. But then in adolescence and young adulthood, it's very common that we kind of pull away um, from religion. And the sociologists note that there's a lot of reasons why that happens. Um, and many of them are not... I hate religion or they're not, it's not about hostility toward religion. It's just about changing whether it's going off to college and during the workforce, um, changing your social group um, of friends and just kind of that move away um, from your kind of home institutions in young adulthood. And that can really disrupt your religious ties. And then these same sociologists note that a lot of people make decisions about whether to come back to religion when they get married and have children. And importantly, this isn't the time when everyone comes back in the same way that not everyone falls away from religion. But this is the time when it's most likely to happen because now all of a sudden you're, you're the leader of your family. You have to decide, do I want my child to go to Sunday school? Do I, What values and, and what sort of religious upbringing do I want my child to have? Um, and this is a time when sociologists note that – A lot of things are affecting your decisions about what goes into, you know, your children's upbringing specifically with religion and where you want to go to church and if you want to go to church and how often you want to go to church. So that's, that's in a nutshell, this is this, this great literature from sociology, but the political socialization literature, which the, the audience of, of this podcast might be more familiar with is telling us that we know that your party identification is actually formed when you're pretty young in adolescence, um, And young adulthood. And it really solidifies and then stays pretty stable um, throughout the course of, of your life. And we know from really great research, you know, people like Lily Mason coming out that our party identification is also a strong social identity that can have really big impacts about with respect to how we see the world and how we engage with others, um, and how we interpret the world around us. And so basically the main argument is there's this time in our lives when we're making religious decisions and we're making religious decisions and we're, we're, thinking about all sorts of things and we're drawing on all sorts of our experiences and identities when making those choices. But one of them is going to be our politics because at that point we have a solidified party identification and we're going to draw on that. And we're going to look to our political environment and take political cues when making these religious decisions. And so that's, that's the, kind of crux of the um, of, of the theoretical argument of the book, that politics might not be able to affect religion all the time with all people, but there's a certain time when it's most likely to happen. And importantly, once those decisions are made, they're pretty stable after that. People's religious identities are much more stable once you've made these initial decisions. And so that, that gives rise to this idea that the gaps that emerge at a certain time in your life follow through um, throughout the rest of your life, where Republicans are actually returning to religion at a higher rate than Democrats um, at this sort of critical juncture.
0: So Michelle, what are the types of data that you use in the book to, to test this theory?
2: Yeah, so a lot. <laughs> There's a lot of data in the book, um, but it mainly focuses on two types, the first being panel data, so um, tracking the same individual at different points in time. And some of these data are, are great data Um, like from Richard Nemi and, and, um, Kent Jennings, uh, where you're following people actually, as they move from different points in their life, as they move through the different stages I just described and other and other panel data sets are closer together where you can't actually see people move within the windows or between the windows, but you see how they respond to a particular event when they're within a certain window of their life. And then the other major, um, main data source that I use are experiments. And obviously, um, both panel data and experiments have their strengths and limitations. And what I think is pretty, pretty great about my book is that you're, there's no one silver bullet, but that you have lots of different data sources um, collected by different people or collected by myself. um, And they're all pointing in the same direction. We're all finding, we're finding, I'm finding similar evidence um, in each of these different ways of looking at the data.
1: Andy, go ahead. Yeah. I I had this uh, sort of a question that struck me as I was reading it. Um, there's a lot of, when we talk about religion and politics, I think conservative religion and politics is like the, is the primary uh, discussion point. But what sort of struck me when I was reading this is like, what are the implications for um, the religious left? And every, it seems like every uh, four years, perhaps on the election cycles, we get renewed attention to the, the religious left. And I wanted to hear like, what, what does your, what are your findings? What are your data say to, um, what we should think about the religious left and how that might play out in our politics.
2: Yeah, so I think the religious left is is super important and I think um I think one thing about my book that's important to consider is that I'm pretty um, agnostic, I guess no pun intended, about how politics is affecting religion, right? So I have a chapter in my book that actually looks at the life cycle, but applies it to the 1960 election and sees how Catholics and Protestants responded to Kennedy's um, nomination and, and the 1960 election. And so... Um, Right now, with the religious left, it doesn't get that much traction, except for every four years where there's a there's an, a couple articles that say, "Will there be a religious left and and a lot of times right. the answer is no, uh, but if the religious left emerged as as a real political force, and the media started um Reporting on it as a serious um, counterweight to the religious right. And if political leaders really went after religious left voters in the same way that they go after religious conservative voters, then it could absolutely shape how Uh, these sorts of people engage with religion. So right now, a lot of the people on the religious left, they feel like they're this minority. And a lot of the people who I think, I think a lot of the people who might potentially be part of the religious left have actually just left religion. Um, But if the narrative out in the broader political environment changed, it could be that some of those more liberal people might be okay, reaffiliating with, with religion or being more involved with religion.
1: Michelle, if I may follow up I was really interested in uh you talking about how mobilization patterns particularly and perhaps um political knowledge patterns might differ based on sort of uh, the religious left and the religious right and so would you mind explaining to some of the, uh to us what you found on those those issues and what the data shows and maybe perhaps what the implications are
2: yeah absolutely so uh what I find is that um Republi- so it's not only the fact that relig- that Republicans are more religious than Democrats, and that Republicans uh, that their partisanship is driving that, but that the, that we think political knowledge has to be a part of that story, right? If you're completely unaware of anything going into politics, you shouldn't be pushed um, to or away from church, right, based on your politics if you if you don't follow it. And so one of the implications of this, which which the data show, is that um, that church attendance is positively correlated. With political knowledge among Republicans, but negatively correlated uh, among Democrats. So basically the the more frequent church attenders are uh, who are Democrats are actually less politically knowledgeable than the ones that have selected out. Um, and uh, similarly with levels of political interest, um, if you are in a if you're a Republican and, and you feel like you're in a politically similar congregation, you're more politically interested. Um, than than Democrats uh, who are involved in a in a in a religious congregation, and so those have important implications because it means not only have our Republicans more religious, but they're religious and they're politically knowledgeable and politically interested. So that should make mobilization far more likely to occur. Whereas. The Democrats that are left in a lot of these churches, on average, are less politically knowledgeable than the ones who who have already selected out. And so, therefore, if the religious left is trying to mobilize within the churches, they're gonna have they're gonna have a more difficult time than the religious right because the people that they're going to be speaking to are the people who aren't that politically interested um, or engaged um, to start with.
0: Michelle, I, w- I wonder if you can place this this study and these findings into a little bit more historical context. Um, is and to what extent is this the theory that you're putting forward um, bound historically in, in a political time and place? And, and to what extent is it is it more general? Um, maybe you sort of relate this to sort of the, the political context in which uh, religion and politics are playing out.
2: Yeah, so um, there's definitely uh I think that in some respects the theory is very generalizable again it's about when politics is most likely to shape people's religious um, attitudes and outlooks in their life uh, but the religious environment or the religious political environment can change and all that would change would be our expectations. Um, so again so I, I look at data from the 1960 election and those those expectations are very different it has to do with whether you're a Catholic or whether you're a Protestant um, and and how how being a democratic, Catholic versus a Republican Catholic and a Democratic Protestant and a Republican Protestant, how that affects how you engage with religion in light of the 1960 presidential election with with John F. Kennedy, who was, who was the first uh, successful um, Catholic uh, candidate for president, I guess only, I should say. Uh, and so in that case, the expectations differ, but the, the life cycle theory remains the same. But that said, the life cycle theory... Um, requires uh some assumptions that may not have always been the case historically right importantly it's about um this move away from religion that people become less religious in their adolescence and young adulthood and that really is able to happen in large part because uh in the US um sp- especially in the latter part of the 20th century people um go on to higher education or they get jobs um they they kind of work for a little bit before they get married they Wait a little bit longer to have children, right? We know that that higher rates of education, delays in becoming financially independent, um, delays in having our first child—these are all things that are keeping people on the outskirts of religion for longer. At a different point in history, and theoretically, it can go back to this. Although I don't foresee this, if we went to a world where everyone was getting married at eighteen and having their first child by twenty, there wasn't gonna. There's not necessarily going to be enough time um, for your politics to really drive your, your religious identity because you're not necessarily on the outskirts for that long. So the life cycle theory um, is premised on kind of a uh, latter part of the 20th century um, understanding of kind of our life cycle in the U.S. about, about marriage and having children and education um, that does weaken people's uh, ties with organized religion in a way that might not be the case in other countries and it might not be the case at other times in American history.
1: Andy, go ahead. Yeah, there's a really sort of wonderfully nuanced chapter in the book about African-Americans and the relationship between politics and religions. And I'm, you know, part of what you show is that the, the religious trajectories of African-Americans are more like white Republicans, but perhaps the way their religion and politics are linked um, are different from both white Democrats and white Republicans. So could you explain some of this nuance to us about um, African-Americans and the way religion and politics plays out among them?
2: Right. So, you know, everything we've been talking about so far has been that Republicans are religious and Democrats aren't, except that we know that African Americans are the single most reliable Democratic. Um, constituency. And they're also the most religious group, uh, racial and ethnic group in the US. So far more than white, even more than white evangelicals. And so obviously, that's a really important caveat. And a lot of people who work on religion and politics really do just kind of put a footnote that says this is about white Americans, and, you know, moves on. And and I wanted to do a little bit more than that. And basically, what I show is, you know, African Americans do see the same dip in, in levels of religiosity in young adulthood, but then they actually rebound in a similar way that looks like white republicans and so in that way they they do look very different than than their white democratic counterparts but through a series of of various experiments and survey data it looks like black Repo- black democrats excuse me black democrats don't necessarily feel the same cognitive dissonance between uh when they think about religion they think about conservative policies um and and so through these experiments it seems like they think of religion and politics mixing. They often think about their own religious experiences. And we know from um, great work by people like Putnam and Campbell that black churches are actually very politically active, um, but it's often on the political left, right? So I shouldn't have said right there. That makes it sound like I'm saying, you know, on the political left. Um, and therefore these people might not see the same, have the same cognitive dissonance that how can I be a Democrat and religious at the same time? Because in, um, the black church, which we know is churches are still overwhelmingly racially, um, homogenous, even to this day, that they might not have that same disconnect, um, or, and and that just that, that, um, uh, cognitive dissonance that a white American might have when they look out at the religious political environment and they think of religion being linked
1: on the political right.
0: Now, Andy, we're we're coming close to our end. Would you like to um, end with a, a, a final
1: question? I think, and just a big picture question. I mean, there are, we are every day. We see polling and stories about the relationship between religion and politics. And um, how should how should we look at those those polls? How should we react? Um, if we're trying to bring sort of um, scholarly views into public life, like how should we interpret um, those sorts of data through this this lens you provided us?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that the data are super important, and the the data are what they are. You know, knowing that this many this percentage of church attenders voted a certain way in an election is is really important and useful. But it's important, I think, to consider why that correlation is so strong right if if politics is affecting um, how often you're going to church and once you're in church, it becomes easily more easily becomes easier for you to become politically mobilized we shouldn't be surprised to see that strong correlation um, and so while the correlation is there and that's interesting we need to we need to take a step back and say we can't assume that this is all because religion is is so important and is impacting every aspect of life including political life we need to think about why is that person going to church as often as he or she is and if they're going in part, because of their politics, then, then it's wholly unsurprising to see the tight correlations that we do. So it doesn't it doesn't negate any of the correlations, but it just um, makes us have a cautious eye toward what, what the implications of those correlations mean.
0: The, uh, the conversation we've had, which has been a little bit interrupted on, on occasion, um, has been about the book, uh, From Politics to the Pews, How Partisanship and the Political Environment Shape Religious Identity. Uh, Michelle's book is published this year by the University of Chicago Press. Uh, Also with us uh, in this conversation has been Andy Lewis, who uh, is the uh, author of The Right's Turn in Conservative Christian Politics. Andy is also a contributor uh, to the Religion in Public uh, blog and as associate professor of political science at University of Cincinnati. Uh, Michelle and Andy, thank you both so much for your time today.
2: Thank you.
1: Thank you, Heath.